Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. You just have time to jump aboard the Giants bandwagon. This year's team has won more games than any Giants squad in the history of the franchise. They clinched a playoff spot for the first time since 2016 and just won the division, unseating the team in blue from Los Angeles after eight long years. We'll catch you up on what to look out for in the playoffs. But first... We'll check in on a very promising new COVID treatment as the local and national numbers improve. That's all next on Forum, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Drug company Merck is applying for emergency use authorization in the United States for a new oral treatment for COVID-19 that trials suggest cuts the risk of hospitalization or death by half. Joining us to talk about the promising new treatment, the latest Bay Area coronavirus data, and what's in store for us this winter is UCSF's Dr. Monica Gandhi. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So I want to start with the good news here, which is this new Merck treatment, which they obviously developed with a a smaller pharmaceutical company. What do we know from the preliminary results? So um, we've been looking at this drug for a while because it just made sense it was going to work. It's what's called a nucleoside analog that works against different nucleosides. That's the um, replicating machinery of different viruses. And it's kind of a global one. And it had been looking good so far for bringing down viral loads in people's noses um, in phase two trials. So what did we find out on uh, Friday? On Friday was the what's called the move out study. Um, and it was essentially the phase three trial data looking at people getting placebo or molnupiravir who had mild to moderate COVID. So you had to have at least one risk factor for developing severe disease. So mm-hmm. these are people who, who could go on and get sick. Um, they actually had to end the trial early because it looks so good. Molnupiravir reduced the risk of hospitalization and death or death by over 50%. Frankly, there were actually no deaths in the arm of those who got molnupiravir. And, and that was an uh, independent be, commission too, right? That was like yes. looking at the data, not Merck itself that stopped that. Trial. Yes. So there's always something called a DSMB, a data safety and monitoring board, and they have to look at the data independently. You don't want to 
think that the drug companies should present the data. They have to really look at it and say, is it clear? Is it a great benefit? And that's what they said. This looks like there's great benefit to this drug, reducing the risk of, of, of hospitalization. Because the, the thing is that we have preventatives. We have incredibly important preventatives, right? That's vaccines. Then we have treatment for the inpatient setting, which is remdesivir and also something called dexamethasone steroids. Where we had a hole was that mild to moderate disease in the outpatient setting. We do have what are called monoclonal antibodies. They're harder to give. They're really expensive. We only had 7,000 doses. Um, you know, in, in, we had restricted numbers of doses. This is a pill. This is a pill that you could give someone like Tamiflu, mm-hmm. which we give for influenza, where you go home and you feel so much better. So it's interesting because one of the complexities of this, right, is you have to know that someone has COVID. So it kind of has to be paired with fairly rapid testing, right, in order – like if you don't get your results from a test back for three days – then you might have left the window, right, in which it made sense to take this pill. So There's no doubt what you just said is exactly true because it's what's called an antiviral. So it, it stops viral replication, and that needs to happen soon because by the time, frankly, that people get really sick, the virus has stopped replicating. It's the damage in the lungs that's from your immune system. So um, you're absolutely right. We have to know quickly. Actually, the trial was done such that it had to be given within five days. Um, of knowing at least you have COVID. So rapid tests are imperative to be paired with molnupiravir for it to be effective. Yeah. So if the numbers hold up, and we just want to you know, emphasize that this was a, a Merck press release, we haven't seen the peer-reviewed studies and, and other things, um, would it be the highest impact treatment that we have so far, or would it just be the easiest to administer? It would be the easiest to administer and actually the high and, and, and by definition in that way, the highest impact. Mm. Monoclonal antibodies are actually really effective. They're really effective, um, but they are either given intravenously or by four shots subcutaneously and you have to be watched for an hour. It requires quite a bit of staff time and that becomes logistically limiting and to give it out widely. They're also extremely expensive. So it's almost like monoclonal antibodies were a great treatment, are a great treatment, but it doesn't mean that it, the logistics themselves make it harder. An oral pill twice a day is kind of a dream. Yeah. Are there similar antivirals that are in the pipeline from other drug companies? Yes, there are. And in fact, there's something called protease inhibitors, um, which you, you, you hear these Normally terms. Normally associated with almost, HIV, right? Yeah. Yeah, they very much sound like HIV. I think that's exactly the point that like, basically HIV really taught us that if we worked hard enough, we could find good antivirals against viruses. And we have nucleoside antagonists in HIV and we have protease inhibitors. So same thing here. We are, this is blocking the polymerase. And then there are protease inhibitors being developed that will block the virus from being assembled into a new viral particle. If you could block both, that's even better. Um, it may be more effective, but beyond the effectiveness in the future, we may need two because these viruses are super clever and they can evolve resistance to one. So it's important to develop protease inhibitors and those are on their way. Oh, that's so interesting. So, you know, from my understanding, the U.S. already committed to buying more than a billion dollars worth of this drug uh, on sort of positive preliminary um, evidence yes. over the summertime. So what does that mean for the actual rollout of this drug? Like, is this going to be re- like if, you know, if you get sick in December, there's some, a, God forbid, another big wave. Uh, is this a drug that's going to be available for people to take this winter? 
Yes, I think it's going to be available this winter because what happened is because it was closed earlier, um, the trial, they have already, Merck said on Friday, they're already going to apply for EUA. This is the kind of thing that hopefully the, the FDA will take two or three weeks to review. And so I keep on thinking like three things are coming. Childhood vaccines are coming, coming. Molnupiravir is coming and, um, and uh, booster shots for uh, Johnson and Johnson are coming. And those three things I think are all gonna happen sometime by the end of November, at least being reviewed. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a new oral treatment for coronavirus with Dr. Monica Gandhi. She's an infectious disease expert and professor of medicine at UCSF. You, the, I heard uh, Nahid Badalia, another uh, infectious disease doc, and talking about this um, antiviral. And one thing that she mentioned was that unlike the vaccines, which may um, have differing effectiveness against variants, that these antivirals could work against sort of a broad spectrum of COVID-19 variants. Do Do you think that's likely to hold true? So it's true that um, last week was ID week, which is our geeky infectious disease <laughs> week conference. And there was um, a, a study that showed that Molnupiravir works equally well against the variants. That actually has to do with the fact that the variants um, have differences in their spike protein, and this is affecting viral replication itself. So this we, we always thought would be true. Um, I, I differ or take exception to the point that the vaccines don't work against the variants. The vaccines work really well against the variants. Um, our problem is that our, our, the United States did not get high enough rates of vaccination for us to be able to combat Delta when it came. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were plenty of countries that had higher rates of vaccination that did not have the destructiveness of Delta that we did across some places in this country. So right. no, the vaccines luckily are actually working against the variants. Is there a possibility in the future they won't? Not if we could give out every vaccine to the rest of the world and stop um, having global vaccine inequity. So I, I'm... Yeah, and I just want to clarify, Dr. Bedelli was talking about future variants, not like oh, our okay. current ones right now. Just, just yeah, but, okay. <laughs> Didn't want okay, you to have to send her an email after the show, like, hey, what did you say again? No, no I don't want to about depress anyone. Variants. Yeah, we have yeah. wonderful... Uh, this is actually how I feel right now in this, like, date, right? October 4th, 2021. We now have, we have amazing preventatives. By the way, prevention, what's the saying? A pound of prevention is worth an ounce of cure. So um, Molnupiravir should not replace- Maybe the other way around. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Not a pound of, yeah, thank you. <laughs> so um, so prevent, prevention is always better. You don't want to get an infection. But it is incredibly hopeful news that we not only have a antiviral, which is an outpatient treatment, um, but that even if you get a, a breakthrough infection that's moderate, this will likely be used for you as well. Yeah. You know, the market read this development in a particular way. Uh, Merck went up and Moderna, a vaccine maker, went down. Um, the kind oh. of basic reading of that was that they, the market thought that there would be uh, uh, there would be a negative effect on vaccine uptake. I mean, at least that's the, you know, lay, lay person's read on what the traders thought. Um, do you think that's possible or are we just at this point, there's so many places in the world that don't even have any vaccine access that that's just sort of was um, uh, a, a little bit of over exuberance out of uh, Wall Street? Well, that really depresses me um, to, for that you said that, because um, I think that we have had 
that lack of vaccine uptake in this country for the last uh, at least two months because we haven't been, frankly, selling the vaccines enough. We haven't done a good enough job telling people that they do reduce transmission, that they do unlock the key to normalcy. And this is something that our country has done less of than other countries that had better rates of vaccine uptake. So I'm very disappointed to hear that. Um, but I, I think we need to do a better job of, of, at saying how great the vaccines are. On the other hand, um, uh, if, actually, to be fair, prevention and treatment is always the best way for an infectious disease to be controlled. So good example is pertussis. Pertussis is a vaccine-preventable illness, but we haven't conquered it yet. Um, there's still vaccine hesitancy. Actually, places in the Bay Area drove some pertussis outbreaks in the last 10 years because of not uh, failing to vaccinate children. And treatment, because we have azithromycin and other medications for pertussis, was always needed on top of it. So mm. I'm happy because we have treatment for what I call mop-up, but we, we really want to prevent first. That's, yeah. You know, um, I, I've also wondered if that this could actually stimulate testing, as we were talking about earlier, because, you know, there's a huge bonus to knowing if yeah. you have COVID because you could just take this pill and cut your risk of hospitalization or death in half. Yes, yes. And I think that that's right. That is what will happen. I envision this very soon, like within December, that I'm, you know, I'm an infectious disease doctor. So I envision this time where people come into the outpatient setting and we get a rapid antigen test for influenza and for COVID. We give uh, Tamiflu if it's influenza, we give Molnupiravir if it's COVID, and we send the person if they're not ill on their way. Yeah. So that is the dream, that you have rapid antigen testing, hopefully co-packaged with other respiratory viruses, and that you just manage it right during there the season. In the clinic, yeah. We're talking about new treatments and paradigms for coronavirus with Monica Gandhi. She's an infectious disease expert and professor of medicine at UCSF. Do you have questions about the new treatment? And are you thinking about flu season? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or you can email your questions and comments to forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We'll be back with more Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about new treatments for coronavirus with Monica Gandhi. She's an infectious disease expert and professor of medicine at UCSF. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was the sort of numbers in the country right now. I think you and I were among the more optimistic people about what 2021 would hold for COVID. Uh, I personally at least have been quite um, disappointed in how the year has gone uh, and it feels like we've just really hundreds of thousands of people have died unnecessarily because of uh, what you were mentioning earlier about the low yes. vaccine yes. Uh, uptake. Do you wish that um, you'd 
talked about things differently? Do you wish that the government had done things differently? Like, how do you see this year um, in the scheme of the pandemic? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I wish that, I mean, we had had the rates of vaccine uptake that other um, countries with high access had, because Norway, Denmark, Ireland, Portugal, um, UK to a certain extent, and multiple other countries are full opening and at about 70 to 80% vaccination, and they are almost back to normal. It's sort of astounding to imagine that this is happening in other parts of the world, whereas we have up to 2,000 deaths a day Mm -hmm. um, from the terrible Delta surge. The terrible Delta surge affected most in terms of severe illness, places with low rates of vaccination around the country, Mm -hmm. and affected the least um, states like ours that had higher rates of vaccination. Now, This is what I think we could do differently right now, though, um, because that was done. Um, One is vaccine mandates, which I, I, you know, it's being pushed by the Biden administration Mm -hmm. and and they do increase vaccination. But the other is more carrots. And, And what I mean by that is we are not messaging very well that vaccinations unlock the key, are the key to unlock the world to normalcy. But these other countries that I just mentioned we're going back to normal and they're looking forward to a very nice holiday season. Mm-hmm. Just yesterday, the CDC put out holiday messaging that said, let's go virtual. Um, that's really depressing. And I think that um, we need to push more that these vaccines do reduce transmission. There was some mistaken messaging by the CDC and end of July incorrect. Um, they also should tell us that they work against the variants because they do. They also should tell us that the more and more vaccination we'll get, that's where we can get back to normal and push that, in my opinion. Well, and that so came I from, think we're depressing. Right. The messaging came from some studies that seemed to show that both vaccinated and unvaccinated people had similar levels of viral load. But the vaccinated people were much less likely to get sick in the first place. Right. And so your that's your position is that the, the reason the messaging was mistaken is because it made it seem as if there was no difference between vaccinated and unvaccinated people when it came to transmission solely on the basis of those viral load numbers. Exactly. This was a Provincetown outbreak um, that just by one parameter, which is called a cycle threshold or PCR test, they were the same at one point in time. But then uh, at Provincetown, but multiple other studies have shown that too. If If you're vaccinated, you have a symptomatic breakthrough, but your viral load comes down more quickly and you're less infectious when you're vaccinated. Why? Because that makes sense. Your immune system just attacked the virus. Mm -hmm. And then also very importantly, if you're asymptomatic and vaccinated, some good contact tracing studies show us that it doesn't look like you're spreading um, very much because you're asymptomatic and your immune system is plump and, and working against the virus if you're exposed. So that messaging told people who weren't vaccinated that what's the point of me getting vaccinated to protect public health? because I can transmit as readily. That really deterred people from vaccination. Mm-hmm. And it scared people who are vaccinated that maybe I'll never be free of this, this, uh, this yeah. threat or threatening my children or my, um, you know, my friends and family if I'm, if I, even if I'm vaccinated. That, that, I think, was the messaging that went wrong. Mm-hmm. I think it's also just worth noting, too, just how much sort of organized resistance there has been to the Definitely. vaccines coming from other, you know, kind of bad actors in the in the system, too, who have their own reasons for trying to. Terrible. Uh, I agree. Which, is, which has been 
very difficult situation. I want to get to some of the basic questions that uh, listeners have, um, like uh, Bill in San Jose. Welcome to the show. Yes, I want to ask the doctor, where do monoclonal antibodies fit in now, and where does she think they'll fit in after if the oral medication is approved by the FDA on emergency use? Great question, Bill. Thanks so much. Dr. Gandhi? Yeah, they're, they're great. I mean, that's a great question. So monoclonal antibodies are being used. Our problem countrywide is that they're in limited supply. And actually, logistically, they're hard to give. And so because of that, we have not been able to use them to the same extent that we would have liked. They are really being reserved for unvaccinated people who are at risk of proceeding to hospitalization. And then rarely among vaccinated um, if they're immunocompromised and so also more at risk for hospitalization. So we've had to limit uh, their use. Um, and that's really unfortunate because they're great medications. I do think that monopiravir, because it's so much easier to give, will probably usurp them um, if as effective. Um, are there any side effects from the pill, Holly, uh, listener asks? So in the phase two trials, not just when I mean, they were just amping up the dose because they went up the highest dose they could, um, just mild gastrointestinal comfort, discomfort. They seem really quite well tolerated. I would equate it to that Tamiflu if you've ever had it, Ozeltamivir for flu. It looks pretty good. Yeah. Well, it also seems like more people actually dropped out in the placebo wing than dropped out in the, in the treatment. Very wing. well tolerated now. Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Um, last question uh, from Kayla in Petaluma. Hi. Thank you for the show. Um, I am, I, I'm interested to know if there's any information about alternative vaccines that are going to come on the scene. I know there's been a lot of discussion and concern about vaccine hesitancy, and a lot of that seems to come around hesitancy of, around the mRNA technology and then the issues that came up with the J&J vaccine. Mm. And there was the Novavax, which looked extremely promising in the trials from what I could tell, and that one really hasn't come into the marketplace yet. And I'm just wondering if there are any contenders or any information yeah. about that that might ease the flow of people who are hesitant but want to get vaccinated, you know, who are hesitant about the technology but want to get vaccinated. Yeah. Thank you. Kayla, great question. Thanks so much. Dr. Yeah, Don- that's so good because um, I actually, the Novavax is the most quote, traditional of the vaccines, it actually gives a protein, the spike protein itself, with an adjuvant. That's how most vaccines are given, the mRNA and the DNA technology. Though it's been around for a while, it's the first time for widespread use. Um, And so it's true that this, for those who are, um, though I think the mRNA and DNA technology is extremely safe, they have been uh, really subject to misinformation. And the Novavax is very traditional. It's kind of what you get in your usual, like diphtheria vaccines, for example. Um, and so I was hoping, because the phase three study of that was presented in the New England Journal uh, just three months back, and they're already pushing it. And by a couple of weeks from now, they'll have it in India and then, uh, for adults, and then they'll have it in January for children. I was hoping the U.S. would push on um, on getting that EUA, but the company is not pushing hard enough here. I I agree with you. That would be helpful to have as another tool. Yeah. We've been talking about new treatments for coronavirus and other things with Dr. Monica Gandhi. She is an infectious disease expert and professor of medicine at UCSF. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Gandhi. Thank you. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.